It is good to be here with you all. Thanks for coming today. Uh, my name is Eric Wakeling, one of the pastors here at Calvary Church, and uh, excited just to be able to talk through, again, this great series in the book of First John. Now, I feel like uh, it's going to be important for us just to, you know, we'll have some reminders along the way when we're in this series of some things, because last week was the whole VBS recap and VBS before that, and I feel like VBS does something to our brains, it sort of shakes it and makes them numb and turn to mush, and then we have to be recreated to be normal again. And so now, do we remember what we're doing when it comes to this series on true life, real love, and uh, even into this sermon today called, that I call The Lie Detector. The Lie Detector. First John 4, 1 through 6, which uh, is really getting into us understanding what is the truth of God's Word and how do we identify truth uh, versus like false teachings. And to get us into that, uh, I thought we could play a little game that we like to call Lamentations or Taylor Swift. All right, you ready for this? Now, what we got here is, uh, you know, Book of Lamentations in the Bible, Taylor Swift, uh, one of the biggest sort of pop stars of our day, but since she did country music before that, especially uh, Lamentations and Taylor Swift songs go well together. Uh, so here's, here's how it's going to work. We're gonna, I'm going to read the phrase, and then I'm going to say one, two, three, and then right away, you're going to either say the word Lamentations or Taylor Swift out loud, all right? There's not going to be any further public shaming than that, but that's where we're going to go with it. Uh, there was a lot of variety for service, by the way, so we'll, we'll see how we do. So don't feel bad when you get one wrong. My eyes are blind with tears. My stomach is in a knot. Lamentations or Taylor Swift? One, two, three. Lamentations 2.11. I got a lot of you. <laughs> All right. This is fun. It's fun for me because I know the answers. Okay, so the next one. I'm aching, no past, nowhere to hide. One, two, three, go. Oh, you, got, you did pretty well on that one. Taylor Swift, the last time. All right. She cries herself to sleep each night, tears soaking her pillow. One, two, three. That's a mix, right? You know? Lamentations, one, verse two. <clears throat> okay, here we go. All we are is skin and bone. One, two, three. Yes, Taylor Swift from the song Treacherous. All right, and one more. Your knives and swords and weapons that you use against me. One, two, three. Taylor Swift. Me. All right. So now we got one. We got a few more. That's a little bit different. Now we've got Dumbledore or Proverbs. Okay. <laughs> So is it in the book of Proverbs, or is it by the wise, sage-like wizard of the Harry Potter series? Uh, even fools are thought wise if they keep silent. One, two, three, go. Proverbs 17, 28. Well done. Okay. It is the unknown we fear when we look upon death and darkness. Nothing more. One, two, three, go. Dumbledore. Okay. All right. It is far easier to forgive others for being wrong than for being right. One, two, three. Uh, what was that? It's a little soft. <laughs> okay. Dumbledore. That had to be Dumbledore because if that was a Bible verse, we would use that in the church all the time. Okay. So hopes placed in mortals die with them. One, two, three. 
Proverbs 11.7. All right, so that's fun. That's it. You know, it's a fun little game. Now, you might have got some wrong. You might have got some right. And it's not, I mean, we do need, we need to know scripture, right? That's the point. But like, <laughs> these are hard. But for us, we do. That we're going to be confronted with a lot of things that sound good or sound like the Bible or seem like a good thing, but they're not. And they're not God's teachings. And they might even be false teachings. And we need to know the truth. So how can you prepare yourself to not be deceived by false teachings. Now, let me give a little bit of background as a reminder again, just quickly about, uh, about this book and, and how it was written and why it was written, because the book of 1 John was written by John, the same guy that wrote the Gospel of John and the book of Revelation, and he wrote it from Ephesus. And that's a picture of Ephesus there. And it is to be sent then, not just to Ephesus, but to the churches of Asia Minor, which is now modern day Turkey, somewhere in the 90s AD. Now there's two major problems or two major things going on in that time that we have to keep in mind as we read this passage. The first is the, the whole thing of that it is ruled by the Roman Empire, okay? The Roman Empire... It is ruled by, in this time, a guy named Domitian. There is emperor worship is required. You must worship the emperor. You must make sacrifices to him to shop, to buy and sell in the marketplace. Hellenistic culture in general is just the whole Greek culture and the mythological gods that were a part of everyday life. If you wanted to be a part of a, a, a business and have a trade, uh, if you wanted to go to the doctor, uh, if you want to be part of sort of social networks in general, you would have to then uh, make sacrifices to Apollo or Athena or Artemis or these different mythological gods and sometimes even take part in some kind of crazy ritualistic practices. Now, the other thing that's going on in this time is that you have what uh, some people call nowadays the secessionists or pre-Gnostics. It was a group of people within the church who then began to preach that... Jesus did not come in the flesh. He was only spirit. Okay, so he never was physically uh, flesh on earth. And so it, it breaks down a lot of things that his physical death and resurrection and things like that. But really, they say that because their belief was that all flesh is inherently evil. Anything physical is inherently evil. Therefore, Jesus could not have been flesh because he could not be evil, right? So that's where that that sort of philosophical viewpoint would come from. But John, who's the pastor of Ephesus at the time, is like, no, 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 I was there, I touched him, right? I was with him, I was actually physically with him. And so these are some of the problems that are, that are coming, and so then it's in the midst of that that we read. And so grab your Bibles, if you haven't yet, grab a Bible on the back of the seat in front of you if you need one, and turn to 1 John. It's really close to the back of the Bible. It's basically right before the book of Revelation and we'll read 1 John 4, 1 through 6. It starts with beloved. John loves these people. These are people he cares about. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. 
They are from the world. Therefore, they speak as from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Okay, so this is a community under attack. They are a community under attack by all sorts of false teachings, false gods, false spirits. And really, this is you. You are within a community that is under attack when it comes to the truth of God's word. And the Spirit of God, I believe, gives us, gives us help in, dis- in discerning these kind of matters. And the truth does matter. True life, real love. And so we want to detect what is true and what is false. So how can you prepare yourself to not be deceived by false teachings? And hopefully you could even hear within there, I mean, he's talking very clearly about some of those, those problems that I was mentioning about the flesh and all that and about how Jesus came in the flesh. But we want to get into some of what these things are. Five things that we can go through relatively quickly. But the first is this. Just don't believe everything you hear, okay? Don't believe every single new thing that you would hear. Don't be a sucker for every new notion or thought or pop theology that comes out. That uh, even it says here in the very beginning of this, beloved, do not believe every spirit. Now, let me explain a little bit here. What in the world does this mean by spirit? And why would I say, or why does it say, don't believe every spirit? Well, in, in this passage, this passage is, is a little bit different than in some others where you'd consider the gift of distinguishing, the spiritual gift of distinguishing between spirits. And it's kind of like a sense of the spiritual realm. Uh, it's a little different than that. It's more of examining. It's more of getting into knowing if something is true or false. And spirits in this passage are false teachers who we would say are under the influence of demons who go against the teachings of who Jesus is. Okay? False teachers under the influence of demons who go against the teachings of who Jesus is. And so we want to make sure that we are not just buying in to anything that we might hear because we don't know necessarily, at least yet in this, in this process, where does that come from? Where is this teaching from? And, and how would we then check it? How would we test it? Now, at that time, in the first century, it was a little bit more, in, in some ways, more aggressive or blatant because, I mean, everything was named, right? Like in the sense of, yeah, if you needed to find inspiration or guidance from the gods, you would go to the oracle in Didyma and, uh, or Delphi and you would go ask that oracle what you should do. And then the god of inspiration, Apollo, would then speak through this virgin girl who has to sit in this, in this room with this weird noxious gas that comes out of the ground in the locations that these are and then speaks with the voice, they said, of a man and would speak out and then and bring these truths of what you should do with your life. So Apollo, and I would say this demon, Apollo, essentially, is what is then giving the truth to people. And that's what they'd be seeking out. So it's sort of more blatant in that way. But in our time, we have a lot of overt messages, but we also have a lot of sort of subversive messages or maybe even messages that might look or seem to be true but are not really true or are lies wrapped in in nicely decorated packages. So, how do, how do we do this? What do we do? We need to then next test the spirits, it says. Test it. Test whether this is true. It says, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets 
have gone out into the world. And you can start to see the context of why we describe these spirits in the way that they are. Now, this word test, this is actually even a word that is used by people who would test the purity of a, of a precious metal, like gold, okay? And uh, that's where that, the origins of that word are from. And it's kind of like these, these guys, these 49ers, Gold Rush era people you see in the screen. But what would take place with, with these guys, like how they would, uh, they, you know, they would be mining for gold. And the big thing would be, is this actually gold? Or is it fool's gold, right? Iron pyrite, fool's gold. And so they had to be able to know whether it was real or whether it was false. And um, so like some of the more experienced gold miners, they could almost just really just tell by just by looking at it. But then they would have a couple tests that they would do. And the first is the kind of the, the classic, like the thing where gold is actually softer than the human tooth. So they bite into it, and if it has give, then it was gold. But if it didn't, iron pyrite is hard, and so it wouldn't be it. Another one that they would do is uh, they would take a piece of white stone, like ceramic, and then take it and rub the, the gold against it. And if it looked yellow, it was gold. But if it was a dark greenish-black color, it was the iron pyrite. So they'd have these, these tests to see whether it was truly gold or not. And uh, so for us, we have to have tests to see whether what we are hearing is actually true and that we should then base how we live our lives upon it because we're staking so much upon it, but all that glitters is not gold, right? Which is a nice phrase, but not in the Bible. Okay, but anyway, it still works. Um, So all that glitters is not gold. But so how do we do this? How do we see if something is a false spirit or a false teaching? Now, again, you've got notes in your bulletin if you want to look at the page. Some of these are written in there. Um, So some questions that we can ask. One, does it proclaim Jesus as Lord? As Lord. Lord and God. Not just a good person, not just some good teachings, not a good prophet or those sorts of deals, okay? Not, um, Not even like a son of God, but God. Lord and God. And that's got to be there. Does it proclaim, then the next, especially in this first century time, does it proclaim that Jesus came in the flesh? So fully God, fully man. Is that the Jesus they're talking about? If not, then it doesn't work. Now, we don't often get the argument about not in the flesh today as much. We do get the other argument the other way. And that's why we would talk about things like Mormonism, where that is something that is talking about a Jesus, they would say, but not the Jesus, because Jesus is not fully God in that Mormon faith, okay? And, you know, it's like a version of a God, but not fully God. And so that's where it can get, like, really confusing, okay? And that's where it can get drawn in, because a lot of things might sound really good. Another question would be, does it stay consistent with the rest of Scripture? Okay, is that message consistent with the whole breadth of the Bible. Now, even sometimes we'll have people that will say, oh, you know, well, Jesus didn't say that, or Jesus didn't talk about that issue, so it really doesn't matter even though the Apostle Paul talks about that issue, you know, or or whatever that might be, as if only the words that Jesus spoke when he was incarnate are actually God-breathed and inspired scripture. But that's not true, okay? So we have to be careful that we, that we aren't just only placing an emphasis on one part of Scripture. And then do those people, do those teachers themselves follow all of Scripture? Like, are they people who are living out the commands of God's Word in, in their own lives? 
So those are some things that we can do to test. And I would say that there's some uh, different lies that are prevalent today, okay? Here's some that I would say. One, that there's no creator, that there's, God is not the creator of the universe. I mean, they would basically say God does not exist then. So it's sort of the atheistic argument. Uh, You would say then cults of Christianity, like I mentioned about uh, Mormonism, which is a cult of Christianity. Relativism, the, the absence of absolute truth that you can't ever have an actual absolute truth about something begins to erode, uh, then that there's multiple paths to God. So you take the, the first century polytheism and kind of turn it into universalism today, that all roads lead to God, whether you worship the Hindu gods or Buddha or Allah, or you just have good vibes and positive thoughts, whatever that might be, whatever that means, you know, that those, all those paths eventually lead to God. But what I would say, um, well, one more, and then what I would say is the biggest one, one more that's not up there, I'd say is also this sort of notion in the church today that we would rally for behavioral change for people who aren't Christians rather than preaching to them about Jesus. And what ends up happening is that we can preach a gospel of behavior modification rather than a gospel of Jesus saves. And so we have to be careful of expecting people who aren't Christians to change their behavior without a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, But I would say the biggest lie today is still this, that a sin is only a sin if it hurts somebody else. Okay? A sin is only a sin if it hurts somebody else. And so that's just where... <clears throat> all sorts of different things, whether that's, you know, the, the big list of things like premarital sex or drunkenness or gluttony or homosexuality or some forms of greed or selfishness. Uh, even sometimes almost like divorce because they'd say my happiness, it doesn't, your hurt doesn't matter because as long as I'm happy, then it's fine, you know? And so you tend to see a lot of selfishness being ruled in these areas. And they would just say, hey, well, it's, sin is only a sin, though, if it hurts somebody else. Uh, C.S. Lewis actually has some great thoughts uh, about this notion. Uh, And these thoughts were actually in his book, Mere Christianity, which came out in 1943. So this is not just a a 21st century issue. This has been something that's been talked about for a while. And he relates it to a fleet of ships, okay? So there's a fleet of ships. And how does this fleet of ships be be successful? How How does this fleet of ships live out fully what it means to be a fleet of ships, right? How, do they, how are they successful in what they are? Now, he would say there's three things, three things for this fleet of ships to be successful. The first would be that the fleet of ships does not run, the ships don't run into each other, right? That's going to be a problem. So if the ships are just running into each other, that's a problem. And that's kind of like your sin's a sin if it hurts someone. So if we hurt someone else, right, that's, that's a problem. The second thing would be that this fleet of ships, each individual ship, must be ordered well and and operating properly on the inside and the outside. All those parts of that ship must be ordered well and operating properly, okay? And then thirdly, it would say that they must know where they're going, okay? That fleet of ships must know where they're going and then get there, right? Like so if this fleet of ships is coming from London to New York and they end up in Brazil... That's not, they haven't done it right, okay? Just because they're sailing around doesn't mean they're doing anything right. So the world would say that just don't run into each other, ships. Who cares if you're ordered well and operating properly, maybe on the inside, because that 
that can change for whoever. You know, we can all sorts of ways that we're ordered in, in, in any kind of shape or size. But, however, we would say that these ships, for them to not run into each other, must be ordered well and be operating properly. And so we are given guidelines and guidance and instruction and commands in the scriptures, in God's word, of how we do that. How do we then use our lives to the, in the best possible way? How do we order our lives well and, and use them well? That's what you know, the scripture teaches us about so much. But then we can't just be people that are ordered well and sailing around. We have to then actually get to a destination and have a purpose for our sailing, right? Have a purpose for our lives. And we know then as people from the scriptures that our purpose in our lives is that the world may know who Jesus is, that we would make disciples, that the ministry of reconciliation, that man would be reconciled to God, you know, all of that would take place and that Calvary Church, you would say, okay, our purpose, right? We want to take that from the scriptures that our purpose is that Calvary Church is a community. We're a community of people, like a family, where we connect with God and others. So we connect with God and we connect with him in that sense of being reconciled man to God and worship of him and prayer to him. And then we connect with others through encouragement and building up the body and serving others. And then we do that and we grow in our faith as well, that we want to be growing people that were ordered well and operating, right? So we grow in our faith, but all of that is so we reach Orange County and the world for Jesus Christ. And we have to have the purpose for that. If we just connect with God and, and, and grow in our faith and, and that, like, we can all be a bunch of people sitting in these chairs, learning a bunch of things, singing a bunch of nice songs, but we actually have no purpose in the world. We are not a country club for Christians, right? We want to get out there and be able to make the name of Christ known and to serve those in our community and love them in radical ways. And so that's so important, I think, for us just to recognize when we are kind of faced with some of those lies, like how can we actually live our life in such a way that makes a difference in that? And these, these lies, believing these lies, they, it does have serious consequences. And I think for John, as he's looking at his community, he's, he's mad, you know? He's got this sort of like protective father anger thing going where he's upset. Like, how dare you lead my precious, beloved little children astray by these false teachings about who Jesus is? And he busts out a big word on them, and it's the word antichrist, okay? He calls these people antichrists. And he, he refers out to the future kind of end times antichrist. But he's like, and you're all a little antichrists here leading my precious ones astray. Because that's what the antichrist does, is denying the truth about who Jesus is and deceiving people. And so um, we see that played out here, but we can also see that, that sort of the way he's calling that out is strong because of how much he loves these people. So the strength of his love is what kind of what brings about that conviction that he has. Um, so, because here's the deal, like, Satan is going to deceive you, but Satan doesn't deceive you with things that don't look good, right? He, he puts, like I said, pretty packages on lies, and he wants to, to deceive you, he wants to pull you out. Even you read in 2 Corinthians 11, it says, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, 
disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. So, you know, he's trying to get you. He's trying to get you down. He's trying to distract you. He's trying to deceive you. And he has lots of different tactics, and they could even just be simple little ones like, I'm too tired to listen to this sermon right now, or I get bored when studying the Bible deeply. I like to read it, but why would I study it? I'd start to get bored. Or I don't know how to be loving when I disagree with someone, so it's not possible, so I just don't care about being loving, and I'm just a jerk when I disagree with somebody, you know? Or I'm supposed to be loving, so I can't disagree with anyone, and then you're just a doormat, and you never stand up for what you believe in. Or I don't want to lose this friend, so I don't share my faith with them. Those, you know, all these sorts of lies where we think it's a good thing to keep that friendship and we're still, you know, even sometimes there's the, that lie of like establishing a relationship, you know, and we can establish a relationship for 40 years and never actually tell them about Jesus. And so sometimes we have to make sure that we aren't believing lies that we've convinced ourselves or even that Satan's convincing us of. Okay, so we want to test the spirits. We test it. We test it. We want to make sure that what we are like hearing is the truth. And part of doing that is knowing the scriptures themselves well. It's that, you know, I mean, it's like this very overplayed analogy. You've got to know the real thing to be able to identify the counterfeit. But it's, it's true. You've got to know the real thing. You've got to dig in and know the scriptures well. And uh, the, it says... Well, it was the Bereans. The Bereans, it talks about these people in just one verse in the Bible, Acts 17, 11, And they're sort of famous because of this one verse. This positive example of these people who, when they're being preached to in these Jewish synagogues, they were folks that then they're being preached about Christ. And they are, it says they were examining the scriptures daily to see if the things that they were teaching were so. Okay, so they're examining the scriptures every day and like listening to what's being taught to them and making sure that that's right. You know, and that's, that's good. We've got to make sure we know the scriptures, that we're examining the scriptures and, and checking what we're hearing because we can hear stuff from a lot of places. You're hearing stuff from me right now. You might hear from other preachers here. You could see something on TV or in a podcast or on the radio or uh, whatever that might be, you know, and you just have all sorts of different messages and you don't want to just buy everything that you hear. And so I want to just make sure that we are people who don't just read the Bible but also study the Bible a little more deeply. And if that's something that's hard for you, you know, I mean, we have lots of classes, different classes here, and we even have, obviously, we have our bookstore. We have books in there. But if reading some massive book on doctrine seems a little challenging or even boring to you, uh, I would understand that. And like, so if you're just starting to get into it, it's kind of cool, actually, in there. We have all these, these little pamphlets that, like this one's called Essential, Essential Doctrines Made Easy. So just trying to... You know, just this little pamphlet that you can read about the Trinity and the virgin birth and grace and all these essential doctrines and how do you understand them. Or 10 questions and answers on Mormonism. Or why trust the Bible. This is really big, I think, for me in this, especially when we're thinking about lies and, and, and helping even this next generation that's emerging to, to believe in God, is that we cannot be giving rationale or a reason to think something out of Scripture if we have not yet established with them that the Scriptures are reliable and worth believing, okay? 
that we have to help people understand that. We have to, to get into that in some way and first establish the scriptures as something that is God-breathed and inspired. And so if that seems hard for you, well, this might be a great first step, something like this, you know? And uh, then just how to study the Bible or, <laughs> I like this one, free will versus predestination in one easy packet. People have... The greatest scholars have debated this for centuries, but you'll have it down in about five minutes. So good luck. Um, uh, okay, we'll keep going. But you know, you got to know the scriptures well. So things like that can be helpful resources. And then the next says the rely on the power of God. So all of this, that, that if we're testing the spirits and we're trying to know the scriptures well, we need the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to help us with this. Because as we come into belief in Jesus as Lord and God, and we've confessed our sins before him, and we are welcomed in and adopted as children of God, that we then recognize that we have the Holy Spirit of God that dwells within us. And Jesus says, I have overcome. And it says here, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And that you have overcome because of that. You can overcome things in your life because greater is he who is in you. We can overcome when it comes to spiritual warfare because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world, Satan. Now, okay, so we, we have to rely on that power of God. And then finally, we'll go into the last one. The last one is to be cautious whom you trust. Be cautious whom you trust. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. I would say... It says here, as he talks about those in the world, speak us from the world. Do not just trust worldly wisdom, okay? Even if it sounds good. People can say all sorts of good things, you know? And people can quote research and statistics about something. And I believe that all truth, if it is truly truth, all truth is God's. God owns all truth, right? All truth is God's truth. But there are some things that people will say to you that will sound true, but they aren't. Or they might even be true, but it's the way sort of that they place it, right? If someone places something above Christ, elevates anything above Christ, even the family or marriage or being a good father or any of those things, if we place that above Christ... We are placing it in its wrong order. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added to you. That Jesus is the end and the means. Jesus is our only hope to have a good marriage, right? Or a good family or good life in any way. And so Jesus is what we seek after. And so I just want to encourage us to not let anything come before him. Don't elevate anything above him. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. And these people, these people that are hanging out in Asia, Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, they're, they're, they're kind of a distance away from Jerusalem and Israel and all where these things originally happened with, with Jesus and the Scriptures. And then they're also getting to be a little bit more time away where probably John and some of these others who are face-to-face with him are getting older and they're starting to get a little bit more removed. And they're surrounded by all that crazy polytheistic culture where everything of their life is just, just being inundated with all of this worship of these gods. And, and your lifestyle has to be part of all of these gods. And, and so within that, like what, what that culture would do is that they would say, well, it's Jesus sounds good. They'd be like, wow, Jesus sounds good. Great. Let's add him to our list. You know, we got Zeus and Apollo and Athena and Jesus. Sweet. You know, and they, they'd be very willing to accept Jesus 
as one of the gods, but not the God. And so then even how much then more easy is it to kind of get these different versions of who Jesus is? And so they began to have these different versions of this not fully God, not fully man, you know, thing going on in their time. And just these tweaks and, and twists till eventually they're just not even, they don't know what they believe, right? They don't know what's true and what's not. And they just start accepting everything. And I would think that's kind of what we got going on here for us. A lot of things that sound good, but maybe they aren't actually biblical. And what we have to check for us, okay, as people who are trying to live this life as Christians now, here in Southern California, are our actions and what we do and we don't do and how they contribute to the culture of this world that we're living in. For example, take something like consumer, the consumerism in Orange County. Everybody would be like, oh, that, you know, it's wrong. Orange County is so consumeristic, you know, whatever. And that, that kind of a thing. Yet, what do our actions display? And how do we contribute to that consumeristic culture when we get every new shiny toy that there might be and we want that, right? And I'm not saying even it's not necessarily wrong to have any shiny toys, but how do we contribute to this culture? And so we try to say that this consumerism is a bad thing, but then we're buying into it still. And we try to take a stand for truth and these right beliefs about who Jesus is, but we're allowing kind of culture to take us on a path that leads away from Jesus. And so again, it becomes that thing where we can easily be people who point the finger, right? We can point the finger at all of those people that are doing those bad things and they're sinners and they're doing it wrong. They're going against the ways of God. But we're still, through our actions, helping reinforce that culture instead of establishing a completely new culture and impacting the greater culture with it. Because that's what the early church had to do, okay? So in, that, in their context here, they had to say, you know what? We can't just sort of buy into all this. So we got to create this whole new culture that's completely revolved around Christ and then impact the rest of the world with that and to be culture makers instead of culture critics. To be culture makers instead of culture reactors. Do you understand the difference? Are you with me on that? Like, for real, I think this is a big thing for us, that we need to stop just being critics and start impacting the culture with what it looks like, you know, to live, truly live for Jesus. So be cautious with whom you trust and who kind of guides you and leads you down certain roads, but trust those who have, um, oops, who have been with Jesus. Trust those who have been with Jesus, because in this time of John, again, those who had been with Jesus are people who were, had been with Jesus, right? Touched him, smelled him, saw him, heard him, were there with him in the flesh. And so I think for us, really, this is those who have written these, these scripture passages to us that we can read, that we can trust in that. But when we're going to listen to people, I want to listen to someone who, isn't just, who doesn't just know about Jesus, but who really is living out a transformed life for Jesus as well. You know, they're living it and not just talking about it and not just knowing things about it. So as we, as we conclude, I want us to feel what John felt, okay? I want us to get a little bit of that, a little bit of that, it's like, it's a righteous anger thing, but it's really this protective love, really, that he has. And he's just, 
he just can't believe what he's hearing. He's hearing this whole thing, and he's like, how can you say that Jesus didn't come in the flesh, you know? I was there. He's like, it's just, I think it's like blowing his mind. He just can't handle it. And he's freaking out over it. It's like people that say that the Holocaust didn't happen, you know? And there's, and people like, and you're just like, people actually say that. You're just like, no, it's it just, it was right there, you know? It just happened. There's people still alive that were there. And, and, and it's like, we can't believe that. That's how John feels here. And he's just like, no, you got to know the truth. You got to know who Jesus really is. Don't go down that path. Don't go down a road that's going to lead you away. Don't anything take you away. Whether it's no hell theology or universalism or no sin unless it hurts somebody or consumerism or this apathetic, self-centered selfishness or whether that's even preaching a gospel of behavior modification instead of a gospel of Jesus. We need to be people who believe in who Jesus truly is and then pattern our lives after that and then impact the world with that truth. Amen? Okay, because I I believe it's really important for us in our day. And what we're going to do now is we're going to take a moment to remember who he is. And we take part in these sacraments, in this sacrament of uh, uh, communion or the Lord's Supper. We take part in this because we are people who forget easily. We are people who like, will be taken off track very easily. But we want to remember. And Jesus commands us to remember. He even says, do this in remembrance of me. And so when we take the bread and we hold it and we remember that Jesus said, this is my body given for you. We remember that he gave his physical body for us. When we take the cup and we drink of it, we remember that this cup represents his blood, which was shed for us, his physical blood shed for us. But he's not just physical, he's also fully God. And thank God for the resurrection, because he didn't just die. He's not, that, that would mean he was only flesh, but he came to life again, and he rose with victory over sin, with victory over death, and we worship a God who is fully, fully God. But thank God that he's also man, that he gave his body for us, that he shed his blood for us, and it is in him that we have forgiveness of sin. So we're gonna, I'm going to pray, and then uh, they're going to come, and they're going to pass out the bread and the cup, and I just want you to, to hold those elements in your hand until I come back up again. And during the song, I just want to encourage you even to be praying through. Maybe there are things or ways that you've been deceived, or ways that you feel like some of these lies have been creeping into your life of all, all shapes and sizes, and be praying and confessing that before the Lord. Let's pray now. Heavenly Father, I thank you for... Your love, Lord, I thank you for sending your son, Jesus. I thank you that for the Trinity, Lord, that you are God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you for the scriptures and the amazing gift that they are to us that we could understand in in some small way who you are, God. I thank you for revealing yourself and your voice to us. I pray, Lord, that you, through your Spirit, would help us to be able to know what is truth and what is a lie. And no matter how big it is or how much we've wrapped our lives around something, if it's a lie, may we confess it and confess it to you and begin to live our lives patterned after your word. 
because it's the only way that we can get to our destination. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.